1: Put The spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Sports Radio 92 Nine, The Game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs>
0: It may be the nighttime, But
1: the sports talk doesn't stop.
0: Sports talk radio that's live, local. And
1: not for the faint of heart. Oh, you didn't know? Sometimes angry.
3: Loud noises! Telling it like it
1: is.
0: Yeah, you insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. And
3: pretty much always right.
0: Don't ever argue with the big dog. Big dog is always right. Text or call 404-741-0929 and be part of the show. Well, we're waiting. Live from the Kia Studios, it's time for the John Chuckery Show. Serving
2: you up sports
0: on Sports Radio
2: 92.9 The Game. And welcome to Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Yes, it is time for the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Kia Studios with you on this Wednesday evening with you for the full four. Asking to download the Odyssey app. You're not in the car as much. You want to listen in. Put the Odyssey app on one of your devices today. Take the smartphone, take the Alexa speakers, take the tablet, take your Walkman, take your laser disc, your turntable, your boombox, whatever your device is, just download it on something to be able to catch us when you're on the go. Social media, you can find us at 92 on the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, best way to be a part of the show, follow us on our personal Twitter pages. I am at JMCH316. That, of course, your water cooler talking points three to six months in advance of anybody else that is out there. He is back producing the show. Jarvis, I mean, Dylan is in the building at underscore Dylan, Dylan Matthews. Dylan,
3: Dylan, Dylan, and Dylan.
2: We get them all? That, okay, all right, just making sure. So Dylan is back uh, in the house with us here. Uh, lots to get into here with you this evening as um, Braves are wrapping up this, uh, what, what's turned into a football game down in Miami, right? Uh, 12 to 8 right now. Uh, as we're in the uh, seventh-inning stretch of this game. But 12-8, to Miami is actually up on Atlanta. I think the Marlins just scored a late touchdown here. But um, obviously, you know, this game doesn't mean anything. It's actually pretty entertaining with all the runs and everything going on. But your lineup today was Swanson, Arcia, Olsen, Contreras, Ozuna, Rosario, Grossman, Heredia, Adrianza. And then Grissom came in for Dansby. Dan's being Olsen played so that they could play in 162 games. That's why those guys played. And Olsen, look, he's, you know, hey, listen, if Olsen's two for four with a couple of RBI, he's homered today, driven in a couple of runs. Marcelo Zuna has hit a uh, home run uh, today in the game. He's driven in three. So, look, if you can use this to get some guys mentally right, have at it, Right. Have at it. Let those those guys figure it all out and beat up on the Marlins. And they had to cock the lineup themselves and everything like that. So Braves wrap it up after uh, clinching the division last night. So this will be it. And then, of course, then we will get ready for Tuesday. Now, we don't know what time just yet. But, you know, I do expect them to play a little bit earlier in the day. Because as the Dodgers get ready for their playoff series, remember, Braves will be the number 2 seed. The Dodgers will be the number 1 seed. And we've got a lot of action, obviously, in between. So I guess first things first, we have to wait to see who is going to be the Braves' opponent, right? We have to see who's going to be their opponent. Is it going to be Philadelphia or St. Louis? Now, we'll talk to our buddy Chris Willis coming up at 8.20 this evening as uh, we'll talk about that plus some other things. But the thing to keep in mind about Tuesday... When the Braves get started, is all four series start on Tuesday. Now, I'm gonna give, you know, I'm gonna give you my opinion on it. The Braves are gonna probably play early in the day, like two o'clock in the afternoon, because you've got the Dodgers who are at home. So they're gonna be the later game in the evening, right? The Yankees are at home as well. So most likely, because it's the Yankees and Aaron Judge, most likely they're going to get the primetime spot that evening. So if I had to guess right now, my guess would be is that the Braves will be that middle game. Houston maybe plays first, then Atlanta, or vice versa. But I think the Braves will play earlier in the afternoon on Tuesday, which is fine. It is what it is. I mean, you have all four series that, that start that day. But remember, after you get done with Tuesday, then it flips to NLAL, and and you go through that whole rigmarole, right? Because the Braves will play, Braves will play Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they won't play again until Friday. Same thing with the Dodgers. So once you get through Tuesday, it goes one day, one day is the American League, one day is the National League, right? You got the format and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is this Fakakta. You know playoff baseball format that they got, but my guess is the Braves will play early in the day on Tuesday. That, that they'll be one of the early games. Like I said, I, I think I saw one thing that said like two oh seven potentially is the starting time for one of those games. So you know, again, maybe not the most ideal time for for folks to try to get there, but it is what it is. Look, it's um, you know we'll find out uh, if it's the Phillies or Cardinals. Cardinals would be a hell of a series, but I'd rather see the Phillies myself. Rather see the Phillies take on the the Braves. Then we know about and all this, that, and the other. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, obviously, and we're going to open up the phone lines coming up in the next segment because I want to get your thoughts. We're going to talk about who the Braves MVP was this year because I thought the, you know, we talked to, with with Carl and Mike about the Atlanta chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. They voted here locally, and they voted for their, you know, for their Braves Player of the Year. Now they also took into account just in, in talking to my buddy Gabe Burns, the, the idea of there was off-the-field things and stuff like that that were accounted for as well, right? So, I mean, that that factored into almost like a man-of-the-year kind of award besides just a player-of-the-year. But we'll ask you about who's the player-of-the-year for the Atlanta Braves, and we'll open up the phone lines to you coming up in the next segment. Falcons uh, get back to work. Um, we'll talk more on the flyover. 7.40, it is Wednesday, so we have to talk to our friend of the show, Torrey McElhaney as uh, we'll get you ready for Falcons foosball coming up on Sunday. Of course, the Falcons will be in Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. Do we know if Tom Brady will be divorced by then? Will, will he still be married? Is that the biggest question that we have to try to figure out is whether or not he'll be you know, married by Sunday and all that? So don't forget, 11 o'clock is the pregame start, 1 o'clock kick. 9 to 11 will be myself and Hugh Douglas will be in the Kia Studios on Sunday, because the Buccaneers game, obviously the Falcons are in Tampa, so the game's on the road, so no tailgate. But we will be here in studio for the Wade Ford Tailgate Show from nine to eleven, leading you into pregame coverage with my friends Chris Goforth and Harper LaBelle. So we'll talk to Tori coming up at uh, at seven forty. By the way, you know the Hawks preseason starts tomorrow at noon. They're in Abu Dhabi, so noon tomorrow is when the Hawks get underway. Now, I want to mention real th- something, a couple of things real quick here before we, we get to break, okay? So I'm going to give, this is petty, I understand, okay? But you guys know I hate the Mets, right? Dylan, we were singing the song like crazy, Day Day and I, last night. We have the song pulled up anywhere? We got the song F available. F the Mets, F the Mets, step right up and F the Mets. So, we were playing the song like crazy and we were singing it. We had people singing it with us last night. Here's one more reason that I'm going to be petty and hate the Mets, okay? So, coming into today, Jeff McNeil of the Mets was leading in the batting race, right? He was hitting 326. Freddie Freeman was second in the league at 322. Freeman needed to go four for four today to catch McNeil because McNeil wasn't going to play today. (laughs) So, Freddie had to go 4 for 4 today. Well, he's not going to get another at-bat because the game is over, but Freddie went 3 for 4 with a run and two RBIs, hit a homer in the game, drove in two, which got him to 100 RBI, so he finishes with 21 homers and 100 RBI on the season. And actually, he finished with uh, 199 hits, fell one hit short of 200. For the season, but this is the numbers in the batting race. Jeff McNeil hit point three two six four five four zero. Freddie hit .3251634. That's a difference of. Are you ready in the batting race? 0.0012906. One nine oh six one one thousandth of a point difference in the batting race. One 1,000th of the points. I hate, I F them. And Buck Showalter said, by the way, yeah, F them. Buck Showalter said, well, I'll play McNeil if he gets behind in the batting title or anything. I'll I'll play him then. Should have played him anyway. Don't be a couture. I don't care if you have clinched the the wild card. Don't be a couture. You know, Freddie's got a shot to, to catch you. Go play. Do like Ted Williams did. Ted Williams could have sat in 41 and still hit 400. What did he do? Played a doubleheader and went like, I think it was six for eight, the doubleheader, and, and got his average up to 406. He could have sat out, but he's not a couture like Showalter Walter and the Mets and Jeff Mineal. So I hate them because they cost Freddie the batting touch. F, F the Mets. Mets.
3: Step right up
2: and F the Mets. Mets. So that's another reason I hate the Mets today. Because they could tore it out. Could have played Jeff McNeil and said, let's see, let's go at it. You and Freddie, head-to-head, let's see who gets this thing, right? Let's see who gets the batting title today. So Freddie's going to lose the batting title by one one one-thousandth of a point. How crazy is that? And give Freddie credit, man. He tried to catch him. He had a fly out in the, um, I think it was a fly out in the fifth inning or something like that, and that was the only, uh, only time he didn't get a hit. Him and Trey Turner, by the way, drove in uh, five runs, and they both ended up with over 100 RBI for the season. So F. McNeil, F. Buck Showalter, F. the Mets. Screw all of those people. Can't stand any of them. Another reason I hate the Mets uh, here today. All right, very quickly as well. So the NBA GMs, if you go to NBA.com, you can see the full results of all of these polls, gave some predictions, and they also did some rankings. So this was interesting. Trey Young came in at number four among who are the best point guards in the NBA. Steph got 72%. Luca 14. Chris Paul 10. Trey Young three. For um most surprising move in the offseason, Rudy Gobert to Minnesota, 47%. Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland, 43%. And then number three was DeJounte Murray the Atlanta Hawks at 7%. And then as far as who they think that are, are going to be the biggest steals in the draft, A.J. Griffin came in at tied for third. So uh, Jalen Duren and, and Tari Eason both came in at 14% and A.J. Griffin tied for third at 10%. So a little bit of good news for the Hawks as we get ready for their first preseason game coming up at noon tomorrow. All right, 404-741-0929. That is the Solomon Brothers I'm at Texan, but it is also our phone line as well. I'm asking you, who was your pick for the Braves MVP this year? I'm going to give you what the local media picked and the order that they picked him in and my thoughts as well, and we'll take yours up next. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 93.9 The Game and the Odyssey.com app. We've heard so much about you. (laughs) Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back at John Chuckery Show. Live in the Key Studios. Wednesday night with you. 404-741-0929. That's both our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. And we are opening up the phone lines to you in this segment. Want to get your thoughts about the Braves MVP this year. And I'm going to read you up the numbers of what the local media had to say about all of it, so asking you if you want to call in, chime in on all of this. Uh, he is at underscore Dylan Matthews. I'm at Jamesh316. We'll talk to Tori as We'll get into some Falcons talk here in about 20 minutes from right now. So I got this from Jeff Schultz on his uh, Twitter page, and he put out yesterday, and uh, we know Gabe uh, Burns, our buddy, was involved in this as well. He said the Atlanta chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America voted Austin Riley as a repeat winner of the Brave of the Year Award. The final vote tally was seven votes for Austin Riley, six votes for Dansby, and five votes for Michael Harris. Uh, Jeff Schultz said his vote went to Dansby. Dave O'Brien said his vote went to Michael Harris. And we talked to our buddy Gabe Burns last night, I believe he said he went with Michael Harris as well. Now, I don't know who all of the people are that are in the Atlanta chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. And you're not going to probably like one of the names. going be Terrence Moore, I believe, is probably part of that because I think Terrence Moore still votes for the Hall of Fame and everything. So I'm guessing he's probably part of – because remember, he was a beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds for a long, long time. So I'm guessing locally in Atlanta, besides Dave O'Brien, I'm guessing Mark Bowman, Gabe, Jeff Schultz, probably Terrence Moore – Um, I don't know who else is part of all of that, but, and I thought this was interesting because when I started thinking about it, who was the MVP of the Brave? Now understand, and Gabe brought this up to us last night that they do for the purposes of this vote, there is some consideration put into off the field stuff. Okay. So whatever charity work, things like that. That's why it's kind of, that's why it's called brave of the year. That's why it's not, you know, brave MVP or something like that. They do factor in other things. And and I understand that. And I don't know that any one of those three guys is bad off the field or anything like that. But I got to be honest with you. If I had a vote in that thing, I'd have to put Michael Harris at number one. And look, not taking away anything from what Riley did. And, and by the way, Riley's first half was monstrous. His first half was certainly much better than his second half was. Dansby had a monster season all the way around. I would have loved for him to score a run today so he could have gotten to 100 runs scored. But, you know, 99 runs, 20-plus homers, 90-plus RBI. Uh, what did he finish with for the uh, – I'll have to look at his stats for what he finished with with stolen bases. Did he end up over 20 or was it – 18. Trying to remember now what what he ended up with for his stolen base uh, total out there, but he obviously had a career this year. Uh, yeah, 18 18 uh, steals. Um, obviously had a career year in what you know could potentially be his walk year. Not saying he is going to walk. I'm just saying he is a free agent, so he's available to walk if that's what his choice was. But if you think about Michael Harris and the role that he filled, you know, he was brought up first and foremost to just, if nothing else, solidify the defense in center field. Remember Adam Duvall gets hurt and he's gone for the year. And, you know, he, we were joking. Remember in the early part of the year, about are they ever going to give Duvall a rest? Cause they didn't have anybody else that was truly equipped to play center field. You really didn't want to play Ronnie there. Because remember, we saw, you know, he was already getting tired in the early part of the year, coming back from injury, trying to recoup, trying to recover, right? He had to DH a lot more, right? Remember, he had to do a lot of that kind of stuff, get himself out of the field because, you know, he plays with one speed. It's full tilt boogie is the is the speed. It says on the little gear shifter thing, you know, like on a gear shift thing, it says like like one, two, three, four. Right? On the high end for him, it says full tilt boogie because that's how he plays. So, you know, you needed somebody to come in and give you a spark defensively in the outfield, if nothing else, just to take the pressure off of Adam Duvall having to play every day out there. And remember, Duvall was playing all the time in the outfield. And we talked about he's going to end up with bloody stumps for legs when all is said and done. So he comes in in one of the most important positions in baseball. Start doing the pecking order on your infield. And your outfield, right? Shortstop one, probably center two, catcher three, second base four. So he's playing one of the most important positions that you could ask a guy to do. So he's got to come in and play defense and do all of that first. Then he comes up and he starts raking to the point where he was a home run short of a 2020 season. He had 20 steals with only two caught stealing. 19 homers, and remember, he's hitting at the bottom of the order for most of the year. Drove in 64 runs and scored 75 runs. Hitting, by and large, at the bottom of the order. It was an outstanding performance. 114 games where he came in and provided you a spark both on offense, defense, and he made that whole, especially That top of that order. Because you could go with Ronnie, uh, or sorry, with Michael Harris in the nine hole and then flip right over into Ronnie and Dansby. And it made that whole top of that order better. Because number one is you could turn that order over quicker, right? He's hitting, getting on base. He's hitting 300. And by the way, you know, hit 297 with a 339 on base for the season. Three triples to go along with 27 doubles, by the way. But he could turn that lineup over. And what is it that managers and pitching coaches fear the most in the world of baseball with their pitchers? Guys seeing that lineup for the third time through. Harris was turning that lineup over. So it wasn't just all the defense he provided. It wasn't just the run production that they were getting from him. It wasn't just turning over the lineup. You know, it's, and then the youth and the spark, you know, that's one of the things we talked about throughout the season is one of the reasons that this team won't get complacent is because of that youthful spark that they got from the Vaughn Grissoms and the Michael Harris and the Spencer Strider, those kind of guys that weren't here last year, the kind of guys that weren't a part of this team last year. Right? Those guys had that infusion of youth and, you know, I'll say whiz and vinegar. I'll clean it up. I won't say the P word, but we'll say whiz and vinegar. And they brought that youthful exuberance. Then you mix in, you know, when you had Ozzy available and Ronnie and all that kind of stuff, right? We already know that that, you know, they play with that, with that kind of youthful energy. Now you mix in all of these guys to go along with it. And obviously Kyle Wright's a guy who, you know, still trying to figure out his way in the league, and he comes up with a 21-win season. So, again, I don't think there's a bad choice. I don't think saying Dansby or saying Austin Riley are bad choices. But I think if I had to pick one guy, I think Michael Harris was that guy. And I don't think it's coincidence that, look, When we look back on the season, right, June 1st feels like that was the turning point. And that was the day that Snitker called that meeting in Arizona with this team, and that's when they rattled off the 14 in a row, right? Now, look, yes, there's probably some coincidence to all of that, but there's also not coincidence to all of that. There also is a reason that you do those kinds of things and try to light a fuse, and they did. And from that point on, the Braves caught fire. When did that – wasn't it Wasn't it Memorial Day, like end of May, Dylan, when that – who's that goofball up in New York that was on with Dukes and Bell the other day, the guy who proclaimed the whole division Sal was Licata. over? All right, so Salmonella. So Salmonella, <laughs> he proclaimed the division. But that was around Memorial Day, wasn't it? It was like the end of May or early June or something like that, right before the Braves went on that winning streak. It, it's – you know the, the old saying is hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's just funny in hindsight to look at how all of those things lined up. You know, to get Harrison, the 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 speech and the meeting in Arizona. The NL East is over. That- What's the date on all that? Yeah, does it have a date on there? It's a it it's from something from another site there, so it's not an accurate date. I'm gonna find a date. All for All right, you, though. yeah. See if you can find the sample when he had salmonella, and he and he called the the East Over or whatever like that. Because it feels like all of that stuff just kind of lined up kind of like one, <clears throat> excuse me, domino after the other. And I, I agree with something that Carl said, he almost kind of just said in passing, would the Braves have won the division even with the years that Riley and Swanson had if you didn't have Michael Harris? and the fact that he jumped over AAA and came right up from AA. It was May 31st. Okay, so it was Memorial Day or yep. whatever, somewhere around whatever Memorial Memorial Day is the final the the fourth Monday of May. So somewhere around the that that time frame. Right. So so very end of May because June 1st was the meeting in Arizona, you know, when they were out there and that's when Snicker brought them all together and said, "Hey, look, let's let's get this thing figured out." It all just came together from there. And I'm trying to see I'll look and see real quick here too. With Michael Harris about when his what what's the actual date of his debut this year? But I don't think that even if you had May 28th was Michael Harris's debut. So May 28th That's he debuts. Wild. You said May 31st was Salmonella.
3: <laughs> yes. Okay.
2: So Salmonella happened on May 31st, and Snicker calls the meeting on June 1st, and it all changes in that five-day period. The entire Braves world. Changes, right? Snicker calls the meeting. They get it cranked up. Harrison debuted a few days before. That's also around the same time Strider got as a, in, in the starting rotation, right, I believe, somewhere around there. And then, you know, Salmonella put the Fanoinks on everything for the Mets, put the Fanoinks on them, and it all turned, you know, from there. So I don't – I agree with Carl. I don't think that they win this division, even with the years that Swanson and Riley and Olsen had if you don't have Michael Harris in the mix for all of that. And I just look at he was outstanding offensively defensively and I do I legitimately believe that they are going to have two gold glove winners. I believe Dansby's going to win a gold glove and I pro- do we have that clip save I proclaimed that months you ago did. that Dansby's going to win the gold glove. I think Michael Harris is going to win the gold glove too. And just to put it all together, Spencer Strider made his first start May 30th. Mm. How crazy is that whole five days? Think about that. I mean, how crazy is that whole just five-day stretch from the 28th to the first of the month? All of those little dominoes. Now, look, understand, Salmonella didn't have anything to do with this, but he did put the Fanoinks on the Mets, right? Put the Fanoinks on them, and he, he, you know, put the, uh, you know, I don't know, there's a couple other terms I could use, but I I can't say them on terrestrial radio, but... Um, but it's just crazy to think about all of these little dominoes that fell into place. So, again, I don't think there's a bad answer. I got no problem with Riley or saying Swanson because you can make cases for him. But I think that if you look at when and what Michael Harris did for this team, as crazy as that sounds, and nobody, nobody saw him coming up to the big club at the end of May and running away with the Rookie of the Year. And give Strider credit. Look, up until the time Strider got hurt, I said they should split that award. Strider deserved it every bit as much as Michael Harris had because of what they both had meant. And then obviously, unfortunately, Strider gets hurt. Michael Harris continues to pull away. He's going to be, if he's not, if Michael Harris is not unanimous in the Rookie of the Year voting, whoever did not vote for him should be fired Banned from baseball, and never allowed to attend a game ever again. If I was the commissioner, I would do that. I would ban them, fire them, and bar them. I wouldn't even let them go to a minor, I wouldn't even let them go to their kids' little league game ever again. They wouldn't be allowed to go anywhere near a baseball field ever again. All right, when we get back, Torrey McElhaney is going to join us. We'll get you ready for some Falcons foosball. Chuck Green, Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, and the Odyssey.com app.
1: Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
0: Back to more John Chuckery. No, no, no I'm having a good time, having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
2: Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Kia Studios on this Wednesday evening. You hear the music. You know what that means. It is Wednesday. That means we talk to our friend of the show, Tori McElhaney, as we head out on the waitfor.com hotline. She, of course, digital reporter for Atlanta Falcons. AtlantaFalcons.com is where you can check out all of her work. And you can follow her on her Twitter page at Tori underscore McElhaney. Tori, as always, we appreciate it uh, on this Wednesday. And let me start with... Look, I know it's only Wednesday. I'm not panicking yet. But when I hear the words pass catcher and hamstring going together, (laughs) I start to get a little bit fearful.
3: You know, I think that's uh, you and the entire Falcons fan base because I feel like they've been burned in the past by pass catcher, hamstring, quote-unquote, injury. We've heard the words nagging hamstring injury for, like, three years now. So, I really do think that you, along with everybody else, is kind of worried. I'm not worried. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm not worried just yet, but it's still, you know, it's still early. Let's we'll see how the week progresses and if he can get back out there on Thursday and Friday.
2: So, uh, Tori, many people would consider me to be a big ugly, but I want to give a little bit of love to the big uglies on the offensive line. I, I will say that, and I'm going to raise my hand on this. There's been nobody in this town that's been a bigger fan of Chris Lindstrom than myself. And, and you mm-hmm. could ask, you know, my co-host on our on our Wade Ford Falcon show, uh, Hugh Douglas. I am all about Chris Lindstrom, and I love that pick coming out of college. And, he, and you look at the analytics, sabermetrics, metrics, whatever you want to use, he's been outstanding. But let's also give some love to guys like Caleb McGarry, who right now grades out as the 18th tackle um, in the NFL, as far as a pro football focus grade goes, Elijah Wilkinson has made a big difference. Um, you know, obviously Jake Matthews has been his same solid self. This offensive line has been outstanding. And to me, this was always the big wild card was if they can take that step forward, this offense will be drastically better. There's no doubt that this group has taken a huge leap forward for us.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think about where we were in training camp and kind of going into training camp being like, we really don't know what this group is going to look like. There are some spots open for grabs. And then you kind of come out of training camp and you feel pretty good about the five that you can run out there. And then over the course of the first four games, it's like, it almost feels like a completely different group, even though three of the five are returning starters. I mean, they really are playing to a degree that I don't know if we've seen – in offensive line play in Atlanta, especially when it comes to run blocking, as well as what we've seen these five guys perform over the course of the first five games of the season. I think it's really encouraging, and it's something that I've talked to a few of them about. Everybody seems to be fairly pleased and fairly happy with how the Falcons are running the ball right now, and they should be because, like what I was saying, this is something that I don't think we've seen Atlanta have this significant of a run game in quite a long time. I mean, you're talking years, and a big part of that success does come from this offensive line, especially when you think about what um, I, I think Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom are doing on the right side of, of that offensive line. I think it's very impressive right now.
2: Tori McElhaney from AtlantaFalcons.com, joining us on the WaitFor.com hotline. By the way, Tori, not just years, you got to go back decades. you got to go back to the early days of Michael <laughs> Turner in 08, 09, and 10, that's when they led the league in rushing, you know, when, when Michael Turner came here from San Diego. He was a 1,700-yard running back that, that year in 08, and they were a playoff team after the disaster of 07. So, you're right, it, it's been a while. And, and you know, Tori, with the offensive line playing so well, you know, look, obviously we hate to lose Patterson. We know what he means. But I don't feel like the running game is going to take a step backward. Algier and Huntley yeah. are both over five yards of carry right now and even I, I even Avery Williams, you know like if you, you got to go back to the Super Bowl year and a name of a guy Tyler Gabriel where Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. would use him on jet sweeps and some you know little trickery in here and there. That's how they use Avery Williams as well. I don't really fear our running attack on Sunday. I feel very confident the two guys, even mixing in Avery Williams. And, and if that line continues to block like it is, look, with all due respect, Tori, me and you could line up behind it and get some yards.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. No, I'm kidding. I, I really do think when you look at the depth of this running back room, it is something that's very interesting to see because you knew coming into this year, you think back to training camp, you know, you didn't see Cordell or Patterson or Damian Williams all that much because, you know, Let's be honest, they're up there in age for running backs. The, the Arthur Smith was not going to run them out there in the preseason. So you did see a lot of Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. And, and you saw what they could do, and you felt pleased with their progress. Well, now they're kind of the guys with both CP and Damien Williams on IR. And I'm with you. I, I'm not overly worried or concerned about what they're going, going to do with that added responsibility. I mean, we saw it in the second half of – the, the Browns game, and, and that's a I, – I think that, to me, gave, that gave me confidence moving forward that, okay, things aren't – it's not the end-all, be-all that CP is on IR. Like, they can still produce and produce at a good clip in the run game, even without CP.
2: Now Tori, let's talk a little bit about the passing game because – and I want to get your thoughts on this. Look, I don't think that it is random happenstance coincidence that Marcus Mariota has gone from 33 – 26, to 20, to 19 in his pass attempts. And, look, you saw after the interception by Denzel Ward, you know, they held him to a three and out, kicked the ball back to the Falcons, and then it was that 10-play, all-runs touchdown, then four additional plays on top of that. And as soon as they got back into that pass mode, you know, you saw the kind of botched snap, and, you know, that's where Mariota had the one botched snap and all that you know, where it looked like it was going to be designed design pass play. And if you look, the Falcons only picked up 52 passing yards off of actual design pass plays, meaning that, you know, the rest of those yards came off of run fake first and then pass. I am a little bit worried about where we're at accuracy-wise, turnover-wise, because you can't be completely one-dimensional in the NFL. I mean, I don't care who you got up front or what have you. This is a different league. You can't be one-dimensional. That's where I do get a little bit scared.
3: Yeah, I'm not ready yet to to say that the Falcons are one-dimensional. I actually have been a team multi-dimensional over the course of the last four weeks. I mean, I think when you think back to, you know, the last two years of even me covering the Falcons, it was like every time the Falcons lost and and Matt Ryan would come to the podium after, after a game, he would say, you know, we as an offense got too one-dimensional. I mean, I think even though they have the success that they did with the run against the Browns, I wouldn't necessarily say that they were one-dimensional in that game. However, I do understand what you're saying in terms of, like, do you trust Marcus Mariota in the moments when the game comes down to it? And I think that's a question that, you know, we're going to be able to ask over the course of the next few weeks because the way that (laughs) this season is lining up for the NFL, I mean – Think of how many games we have seen in the first four weeks of the season come down to a two-minute drive at the end of the game. How many games we are seeing be one-possession games. Well, what happens when you do enter into a situation, whether it be end of game or end of half, where your quarterback has to lead you down the field and you either win or lose based on your quarterback's decision-making? I mean, do you trust Marcus Mariota in those situations to be able to be that guy? And I think that's the question that's on a lot of people's minds. And and it does make you wonder, especially considering kind of what we have seen in fourth quarter from Marcus Mariota over the course of the first four games. I mean, it's something to watch for sure.
2: Atlanta com reporter Tori McElhaney joining us on the wait com hotline. Let's talk about Arthur Smith for a second, because I talked about this the other day. Um, if you look at Arthur Smith in his time here in Atlanta, they are nine and four in one score games. Compare that to Dan Quinn's last two years. They were five and twelve his last two years in one score games. That's coaching, Tory. I mean, I understand some yeah. things have to fall your way, but it's I've said for years, Tori, I want us to get to where we have an advantage on the sidelines on Sunday, especially in the second half of games. I really do feel like Arthur Smith gives us an advantage on the sidelines now.
3: Yeah. It's really interesting that you bring this up because a question that I had about this team going into this year was what is its identity? Because you have a team that is stitched together with guys on one-year deals and you have a lot of young, raw talent. That's kind of what makes up your team right now. What is this team actually going to look like When it's in transition, and and so go. I feel like over the course of the first four games of this season, I feel very confident in saying that their identity is in physicality, and that comes from the messaging of the coaches and expecting there to be a level of physical play drive in, drive out, series in, series out. Every time the ball is put down, you're going to go out and be physical, and that is something that I think Arthur Smith has brought to this team that I think a lot of times goes overlooked because. The Falcons are in this game, in these games, even the games that they lost or the first two weeks of the season, they're in position to win games because of their physicality and because they're not quitting, they're fighting until the end. And I know that's probably like super cliche to say, but when you look at these four games, it is so true because you see it for all four quarters. And so, for that reason and that reason alone, it is, I think, this is an Arthur Smith mentality that has bled over into the team itself, especially with this team being in transition and having guys be like, I don't know what the next year or two years is going to look like for me. I have to put my best foot forward.
2: Tori, we talked about this last week, and, and, you know, you can give me any updates because I may not have – there may have been something I haven't heard, but we talked about the guys that are available to come off of IR this week. And I I was 100% confident that Isaiah Oliver would be the one guy that – would come off and start getting back in the mix, and he practiced today, meaning that, okay, you've only got a few weeks before he's got to be on the act of 53. I did not hear any updates, though, about Marlon Davidson, Jalen Mayfield, and Deion Jones, and we talked specifically about, about this, and I'm not saying there's a conspiracy or anything, but I think we talked <laughs> about last week that, listen, I, I get the idea of Oliver because you can't have too many cornerbacks in, in this league, right. but... I'm not upsetting the apple cart. I hate to say it that way, but I'm not. With all due respect to Marlon Davidson and Deion Jones and and Jalen Mayfield and whatever they do or do not mean to say, I'm not upsetting the apple cart right now. I I think Oliver can come in and help them, but the rest of those guys, it seems like it was pretty mum about you know the status on any of those guys.
3: Yeah, no, especially when we were talking to Arthur Smith today, and he was like, "Yes, you will see, Isaiah Oliver." come out to practice and we're working it him back, et cetera, et cetera. There was no other mention of any other guy. And I do think that that is important to hear because I mean, when you think about it, like they can't, they're in the same boat as Isaiah Oliver. They can come back. However, I'm, I mean, I'll say it again. We said it last week when I was on, I'll say it again this week. I'm, I'm with you on, I'm not pulling, I'm not pulling Elijah Wilkinson for. Uh, Jalen Mayfield if he was 100%. I'm not pulling Taquan Graham for a Marlon Davidson if he's 100%. Same thing with Deion Jones and Michael Walker or Rashawn Evans. Like That's not happening if I am the coaching staff. and I think that is going to play a major role in if we even see, when we see these guys come off of IR and if we see these guys come off of IR. Because again, we don't know how extensive those injuries are for them to even be able to come back. So all of that to say, I'm fine with how this is. I agree. Like, Isaiah Oliver can come in and help you at nickel. I truly believe that. But everybody else, it, it it feels like the Falcons have a good thing going right now with the guys that they have on the field at those positions. I'm not willing to to move that about either.
2: Yeah, think about it. That's three starters from last year's team that yeah. we're talking about. We're not talking about Hammond Eggers. We're talking about three guys who started all the games for this team last year so. Always good stuff. Follow her at Tori underscore McElhaney. Check out all of her work. AtlantaFalcons.com is where you can catch all of it. And she joined me here on the waitfor.com .com hotline. Tori, as always, appreciate it. We will chat again next week as we go for three in a row. How about that? who who to thunk it? Potentially three in a row after this weekend.
3: I mean, hopefully we have some good things to talk about next week. We'll see.
2: <laughs> you got it. Thanks, Tori. Right, thank you. When we get back from the top of the hour, we'll get to a Falcons flyover. Speaking of Arthur Smith and Chris Lindstrom and Isaiah Oliver, we will hear from them, plus a couple other little news and notes and nuggets as we always do with the flyover. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, the com app.